0: that they look to you for guidance and help in, in, in their life. Father, we ask your blessings on Kathy Baker, Cindy Baker, Kathy, Kathy's mom, and be with the doctors that are attending to her now. Pray that they can uh, help with pain in her hip. Father, we know that uh, we have a lot of things going on that's what we call not normal. We ask for your help that you bless us with strength, that we try to get through this as, as quickly as possible and be with those that are, are working on the uh, medicines to help with this virus. We know, Father, that, that we have struggles in life that uh, sometimes take over, and, and we pray that we look to you for guidance and help through these, through these tough times. Bless each of us. Give us all strength. We're thankful for uh, <clears throat> the reports of the of ones that are, that are doing better. Continue to bless all of our sick and our shut-ins. Forgive us. In thy son's name we pray, and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please?
1: First in this morning, number 501. 501, oh, worship the king. next hymn this morning, number 219. 219, He's My King. After this hymn, Brother Dwight Dunford will have our scripture reading and prayer.
2: Today's scripture is the gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. John 1, 29 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, that this is the Son of God. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we're, we're thankful to be together today as your church to praise and glorify your name, to worship you in spirit and in truth as we sing praise, hymns of praise, as we hear the word preached, by those that you have sent to us to glorify your word. We're thankful, Lord, for every blessing this church has. We also think of those that, that have lost loved ones at this time, the three families that are mentioned this morning, Lord, we are praying for them. We're thankful, Lord, for the baby that was born, the joy that it brings to the families. Lord, we, we ask you to be with those that are in the hospital at this time, the, those that are sick. We thank of the many names on our prayer list that are fighting cancer. And we ask you, Lord, that you be with these many ones, our dear friends and loved ones that are suffering. Whenever one of our own hurts, we all hurt, Lord. So please, we pray, be with them and, and help, <clears throat> help them. We ask you to be with us throughout this service as we remember Christ at the Lord's table and the one that will present this, this lesson to us, Lord. We pray that we are attentive and that our hearts and minds are in the right place as we remember Christ and the suffering that was done in our stead, Lord. We thank you again that we can be here and praise you and glorify your name. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Next hymn, hymn number 53. Hymn number 53 at Calvary. We'll sing the first three verses.
3: this do in remembrance of me. It's easy right now. To forget about the things that are important. We've got ordinary life stress, work, family. On top of that, we've got a global pandemic. We've got election. We've got what seems like an endless stream of bad news that our our, uh, news reporters deliver to us seems like every day. And we've all got these little devices in our pockets now that ding and buzz and beep and let us know when somebody said something to us or about us or sent us some kind of notification. We are bombarded with, information. We're bombarded with thoughts. And we need to take, a to take time in our lives to focus our thoughts and remember those things that are truly important. Right now in our service is our time to focus and remember the thing that is the most important. There is nothing more important in Jesus's life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Let us pray in remembrance of that. Father, we come to you now with our minds on the body of your son, Jesus, the body that walked this earth, that performed the miracles, the body that was sacrificed for us in love in compassion and in grace. And Father, we pray we remember the importance of that, not just now, but every day of our lives. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now mindful of the blood that was shed by your Son on that cross, and the eternal grace and the eternal salvation we can have because of that bloodshed. Father, uh, help us keep that in our minds and in our hearts, Father, the reason for the bloodshed and the reason we remember it. Since we are not passing the plates at this time due to the, uh, the virus, the elders have set uh, containers at the back of the auditorium for your offering. Uh, if you have not already dropped your offering in there, you're welcome to do that uh, at the end of service. Uh, let us pray, though, to bless that offering. Father, we thank you for the blessings we have. for the material wealth we have, Father, and we pray that we use that wealth and those blessings to your glory. Father bless those works that are done in your name. We pray for the success of those works, we pray for the success of the work of this church, Father, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen.
1: all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 220. 220, He Lives. 37. there's thy heart right with God. This time, for the
4: curse. Good morning. good morning. It's good to see each one of you back with us again this morning. I've been proud of so many of the stories I've heard uh, from different parts of our congregation, different members of our congregation. that said, well, this person's really helped me and this person's Stood up and has really affected my life in a positive way during this endemic. We we have so much of a resource with the church, don't we? Uh, and when we're not here, you kind of you kind of miss kind of miss the connections, don't you? You begin to feel like you're separated, but you're not separated because the church is not the building, right? The church is the people, and you can't shut down the church. You can shut down the building, you can lock the doors, but you can't shut down the church. Uh, and so that, that's one of the amazing promises we're going to talk about this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark is uh, an incredibly interesting gospel. Uh, I think it's probably one of the more overlooked among the four, maybe the most overlooked gospel because it's short. Um, and because it repeats a lot of the same material that Matthew and Luke record. Mark's got a different agenda, though, than Matthew and Luke. And while he goes very quickly, uh, we're going to try to go fairly quickly too, but I don't want us to miss some of the nuggets, some of the tidbits that Mark has for us, especially during uh, this this current pandemic and the things, the thoughts that are going through our minds, the things that we're struggling with now. I think Mark has some some very applicable thoughts for us during this time. So we're in Mark chapter one, we're going to start in verse 16, but I want to back up just for a second, all the way back up to Jesus' temptation. Uh, if, you'll, if you'll look back up a couple of verses, starting in verse 12, I don't want us to miss this, this part. Mark is telling us a story, right? He's telling us about Jesus' life. Uh, and he wants, he wants you to, to get this point of who Jesus is. He wants that fact to be so bedrock in your mind that it changes your life. That's his goal. He wants a life-changing moment because of a truth that he's taught you in, this, in, in his book. And so that's incredibly difficult for us as 21st century people to, to get. I guess we don't have that many life-changing moments, do we? We have maybe one or two after a significant surgery, maybe after a pandemic, maybe after something that really catches our attention, our hearts, our minds, everything changes and our focuses shift, right? Mark wants that to happen to you as you read his gospel. He wants it to happen to you because he believes that Jesus is God. If he's God, he's worth sacrificing everything for. And that's what he demands, a complete and total sacrifice, complete and total submission to him. So... Go back up to, to verse 12. Jesus has just been baptized in the previous verses. And John has been talking about Jesus since the beginning of his own ministry, just a couple of years earlier at this point. John's about six months older than Jesus. And they're cousins. And John has been teaching about Jesus since the first moment he opened his mouth. In fact, John has some disciples. We'll talk about them in just a minute as we get into Jesus' call of, of the first... Uh, four disciples that we find here in Mark but John's got some disciples and every now and then Jesus will cross paths with John as they traverse the area around Galilee teaching and preaching and John will look across the field and he'll see Jesus and he'll you kind of see him he'll slap his disciples and say hey look it's the lamb of God he takes away the sins of the world that's John's tagline for Jesus every time he sees him hey Look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So after that happens a couple of times, what do you think John's disciples start doing? Well, they start looking for Jesus, right? John, his tagline for them, look, hey, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's more important than I am. Stop listening to me and start listening to him. Stop listening to me and start listening to him, you know? You kind of see John, I don't know if this actually happened, but in my mind's eye, I can kind of see his disciples with a confused look on their face. What, what do you mean stop listening to you? You're our teacher. You're our rabbi. You're, you're the greatest teacher that there's been the last 400 years. Stop listening to you and start listening to him? Why? John says, Because he's the Lamb of God. Everything I'm doing is just pointing toward him. And in fact, at Jesus' baptism, a voice from heaven confirms what John has been saying about Jesus all along. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You need to listen to him. Hear and seeing are key things, key uh, points in, in Mark's gospel. He wants you to hear and see what Jesus has done so you can come to the conclusion he's God. And so the voice from heaven speaks. Everyone hears it. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, whatever he says, you need to listen to him and obey. Biblically speaking, listening equates obedience. Uh, the distinction that we make is is completely a new thing. Well, I heard you, but I'm not going to obey. God doesn't work like that. If I hear you, then you, I need to obey His words. And so, voice from heaven speaks. This is my son. Listen to him. Spirit, the Holy Spirit descends onto Jesus just like a, a dove would floating, uh, flying down. He rests on Jesus' shoulder and everyone sees this. This is a visible sign of something Jesus is going to claim over and over and over again and it's ultimately going to be the thing that gets him in the most trouble and it's going to be what kills him. He, he's going to claim divinity. But this is the first time where it's visibly seen. He's going to claim it multiple times after this, though. Right after his baptism, it's got to be the high point of his life, right? It's got to be the moment where he has all this momentum built up. He knows he's about to enter into his own ministry, where he's going to draw the crowds. As you read through, Mark, and I've challenged you several times throughout the, as we started this series, to read through this gospel. I'm going to continue doing that. I think this is something you need to see. It needs to seep down into our minds. Don't allow Mark, don't allow the only time you read Mark to be when we read it together. Allow this to seep down into you. His gospel is so vitally important. Um, So, after his baptism, Jesus has got to be on a a high point. He's got to be on a mountaintop, right? Spiritually, he's, he's ready, you know? But there's one more thing he has to do. He has to go into a wilderness. Now, if you look in uh, verse 12 you'll see that the spirit immediately that's another one of John or Mark's favorite words is immediately he's showing this fast paced life that Jesus is going to lead so the spirit immediately after his baptism drives him into the wilderness the word he uses for drives there is incredibly powerful it's, it's compelled in, in, uh, in Greek it's almost like Jesus didn't have a choice the Holy Spirit threw him into the wilderness so you start thinking well why why do you throw him in the wilderness? Well, you keep on reading, and you can go back through and you can do this research on your own. But in, in the next verse or so, you'll see, in Mark chapter one, I think it's verse 13, you'll see that there are wild beasts in, in this wilderness. Jesus is completely and utterly alone in this wilderness temptation. We hear a lot about this temptation from Matthew and Luke. They record some of the specific things. Mark, while his account is much briefer, incredibly brief, it's Mark, he's going to be brief, but his account is incredibly brief, but his account actually covers more territory than Matthew and Luke do. He tells us, thanks to the Greek tenses and in, in the way he tells this story, that these temptations lasted the entire 40 days. This wasn't just Jesus fasting for... Forty days, And then at the end of the 40 days, Satan come to him and he tested him with these three different temptations. That's not what happened. Jesus was tempted for 40 days constantly without, uh, without quitting. Satan was just hammering at him. So why did Jesus have to go out into the wilderness with these wild beasts? You, know, you see on the picture behind me a couple of the wild beasts that are still, these things still exist. They're still there in the wilderness around Jerusalem. So if you were to go today, I know some of you guys went... A couple years ago, Jim went. I think, and do you see these, these things? I think I think people are still um, talking about sightings of these things. apparently there's these the little wolf looking things they are called jackals, and uh, there's a pack of about thirty of them that live in the green space park area right outside of Jerusalem to this day. Um, they're dangerous little things, you know they weigh thirty, forty pounds, and they're dangerous the The cat is called a caracol. I think is how you pronounce it. And it's also about 40 pounds. So think, uh, think a pretty good size cat just wandering around. There's also wild pigs. You ever hunted for wild pigs? Those things can be quite dangerous as well. Uh, there's scorpions. All the normal things that you would expect in a desert. Plus these fairly ferocious animals. And so Jesus is alone. There's no, There's no huts in this area. There's certainly no cities in this area. There's no People. If there were people, these wild beasts wouldn't be there, right? And so Jesus is forced out into this wilderness where there's no one there. Why? Why can't anyone be there? Why can't these temptations happen in Jerusalem or in Bethany, uh, where his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live just right outside of Jerusalem? Why does it have to happen in this wilderness? I think Mark points this out for us. I think the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness for this one purpose So that Jesus would have to face Satan at his lowest point, physically just demolished, right? Have you ever not eaten for 40 days? I haven't. Ever fasted for just a couple of days? Does something to your mind and your body, doesn't it? You start fasting for a little over a month, you can get fairly weak, right? Jesus is fairly weak. Physically, but you're going to find out pretty quickly he's as strong or stronger than he's ever been spiritually. So he's at a physically weak point here, but he's also all alone. At his weakest point, Satan does his most intense temptations because Jesus, he wanted to trip him up, right? And so Jesus has to endure these, per- these temptations at his weakest point all by himself and he's far outstraps Satan obviously he conquers through these, tempt- through these temptations and flying colors and Satan loses and it's going to be just the first time Satan loses ultimately he's going to lose completely at the cross what I want us to get across here is Jesus had to do this alone He needed to do this alone. That's why he goes into the wilderness. The apostles couldn't be there with him. His family couldn't be there with him. He had to be alone to be able to conquer Satan in this way, to be able to bind him. You don't have to be alone. It is no doubt that Satan has had a heyday with Christians during the pandemic when we've almost been forced apart From each other, right? Shut down for three months. Most of the country shut down for three months plus. I think they're still not meeting in some part in some states. Uh, I watched a a friend of mine preaching a couple of days ago, and it was from last week's sermon. I think he said that that this was the first week that they had gotten back. He's in Texas. It's no doubt to me that Satan has had a field day with Christians during the pandemic when we've been pushed apart from each other. That's where That's his moneymaker, right? He wants to be able to, to break us apart. When we're together, what, what can we do? We can fend off temptation a little bit better, can't we? It's a little bit easier to stay faithful when we're together, but when you separate us, what happens? We get weaker, don't we? You don't have to be alone. Even though we were forced into isolation, what's that mean? Well, the church didn't shut down, did it? We could still make phone calls, right? We could still knock on people's doors and step back out in their yard and say, hey, and have a conversation with them in a safe way that also built us up, that also kept us safe spiritually. We can do these things, right? Even if we get shut down again, we can do these things. We can be tight-knit and not be physically close. It's harder, right? It's harder. But if you're alone, what happens? Satan can have a field day with you. You'll fall. It's so much harder to stay faithful when you're all by yourself. That's why Jesus went out of the wilderness at his weakest point to tell Satan to basically bring it. He couldn't, he wasn't strong enough. Satan was no match for Jesus, even at his weakest point, but we are. But thankfully, because of the cross, we're not alone. That's why he's given us the church. So that we can be with each other. So that we can hold each other up. So that we can fend off Satan together. That's why we have Jesus, right? The high priest who knows exactly what we're going through because he's endured each one of these temptations. He knows what it's like to be us. To, to, to feel the pull of these temptations. You are not alone. You've got the Holy Spirit, right? That can groan with you. Groaning's too deep for words. You can go to the Father in prayer. We have all these resources. You're not alone. You don't have to be alone. So that's my encouragement to you this morning as we deal with this this, this little first part here. Find a way, even if you're in quarantine, to be spiritually close to the church. Take advantage of this incredible resource God has given us so that you can stay faithful. All right, let's move on. Jesus is going to find four uh, disciples, and he's going to call them. Let's, let's get into the text, verse 16. Mark 1, verse 16. Let's listen to what Mark says. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, "'Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men.' And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. There's that word, immediately. You may want to underline that word, immediately. In verse uh, 18. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately, there it is again. I want to underline that. Verse 20. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So, jesus comes across and he sees these four fishermen peter and uh, Simon, uh peter and uh andrew his brother are out fishing and so uh they he, he calls to them and what do they do they don't even think twice about it right they drop their nets and they get out of the boat and they come they come follow him. and so then he walks over to james and john and they're along the seashore and they're mending their nets they would have had nets very much like this with the, with the uh, it's more of like a drag net. you know you throw it over and it encapsulates the school of fish and These guys were doing what fishermen do when they're not fishing. They were mending their nets so they could go fishing. He calls them and what? Immediately. without a second thought. No questions asked. No goodbyes. No setting their their affairs in order. They drop everything and immediately follow him. Why? What? What is going Have you ever read through this passage and thought, what are these guys doing? These guys are no pushovers, right? Peter, can you imagine Peter? You telling Peter to do something, him just doing it? How well do you know the the Apostle Peter? (laughs) This guy is not that guy. Uh, You tell this guy to do something, and he starts asking questions, right? No questions this time. He immediately drops what he has, what he's doing, and he follows Jesus. James and John are the same ways. These guys, their nicknames, are the sons of thunder. These guys are, are harsh, brash, young men. Why do they not ask questions? Why do they immediately drop everything and follow him? Well, at the very least, Andrew... And John, are disciples of John the Baptist. And what's John's favorite line? Look, there's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Stop listening to me and start listening to him. No, for real, leave me. Stop listening to me and go listen to him. His words are important. I'm the one that's just been pointing to him. I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes. Go listen to him. And so when Peter, Andrew, James, and John... Get the call from this rabbi that John's been talking about since day one. And, and Jesus says, hey, come follow me. What do the disciples do? Oh, no doubt about it. I'm, I'm going to follow you. I'm leaving. Now, think about it for a second. What did these guys give up? Why did these guys give up? Go back and look at the story again. They have, what was the last, the, look at the last verse we read for you in verse 20. He called them and they left their father Zebedee. Okay, so that's one thing we need to think about. You think Zebedee was, was pretty happy with this arrangement? Zebedee is most likely an older guy at this point. Uh, most men, uh, like Joseph, even Jesus' own dad, by the time Jesus is a grown man, by the time he's an adult, you don't hear about Joseph. Why? Well, most scholars think it's because Joseph has already passed away. Most men father children older in life. Zebedee maybe is an exception there, but he is most likely an older man because James and John are most likely in their 20s or 30s. Maybe in their 30s. Mid-30s or so. So Zebedee has been grooming his two sons to take over his fishing business. That's what you do as a son. You become the trade that your father has, right? That's why Jesus was a carpenter, because Joseph was a carpenter. That's why... James and John are fishermen because Zebedee's a fisherman. So do you think Zebedee was pretty excited about this arrangement when Jesus said, hey, come follow me? And James and John kind of drop their nets and they just walk after him and they start talking to him and they don't look back. You think that was a pretty good deal for Zebedee? I think think he might have been a little upset, maybe a little angry about that. But these guys never looked back. It can be hard to shove our family to the side, can't it? when we need to follow Christ. That can be difficult. James and John do it and and they don't ever look back and it was no disrespect to their father. I'm sure they loved him. But what? They loved Jesus more. He was significant, he was important and they wanted to be a part of what he was teaching because John had said he's important, right? So they give up this family relationship but that's not all, right? Keep on reading in verse 20. They left their dad, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Now, in the first century, how wealthy do you have to be to have hired servants? Pretty wealthy. Most people in this day and age don't have hired servants. They do their own work by themselves. James and John and their, their, their dad, Zebedee, have such a lucrative fishing business That they are able to have multiple boats. Thank you to John the Apostle for recording that little tidbit for us. They have multiple boats, which is next to unheard of. They also have hired servants. They have a partnership with Peter and Andrew, which is also pretty rare for their day. These guys are doing okay. They're fairly wealthy for the first century. In fact, so wealthy that they are known, at least John is, to the high priest. You remember when Jesus is being crucified, uh, John is the one who gets Peter and himself into the courtyard, into the temple courtyard. You remember why? Because the guy recognized him as a friend of the high priest. So how does John, this backwoods fisherman from Nazareth, Capernaum, this Galilee area that's kind of Timbuktu out in the sticks, how does this redneck fisherman become acquainted with the most prestigious guy in all of Israel. The highest ranking Israeli official, the high priest. How's he do that? I don't know. Maybe John's family supplied the fish for the high priest and his family, it seems likely. But at whatever rate, he's known to the high priest. His fishing business has elevated him to a new circle. He's got nice friends, right, that have nice money, thick wallets. So when James and John left their dad, Zebedee, in the boat, what did they leave? It wasn't just the family, was it? It was also the promise of a well-set life, promise of wealth. These guys left a lot at a, at a moment's notice, at the drop of a hat, to follow Jesus. Why? Because John the Baptist had said, this guy's important. You need to listen to him. That's what a disciple does though, isn't it? We drop everything and we follow Jesus. No questions asked. We follow. Because he's the leader and we're not. And so, let's fast forward a little bit to, to Matthew. If you skip forward a couple of chapters, I think it's Matthew chapter 3. You'll find uh, the call of Levi He's the only other apostle that we get uh, to, to hear. It's Matthew 2, verse 13. Matthew 2, 13. He's the only other, only other apostle that we get to hear uh, about how he came to Christ, about how when he was sitting in a tax booth, Jesus comes along and he says, hey, come follow me. And what's he do? Well, if you're there, look at this word. uh, Mark chapter 2 verse 13 He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them and as he passed by he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus sitting in the tax booth and he said to him follow me and he rose and followed him no questions asked immediately this happened Matthew is not a disciple of John the Baptist and so why does he not have any questions again Matthew's not a pushover this guy is a for all intents and purposes, a Roman official. He holds people accountable. You don't play with Matthew. He, he's, he's a hard nosed guy. If you need to pay your taxes, you go to Matthew. If you don't pay your taxes, Matthew comes to you. Right? This guy's no pushover. And so when Jesus comes to him, he says, hey, come follow me. Matthew doesn't even ask questions. He doesn't think twice. He leaves his tax booth and he follows Jesus. Now, why is that incredible? Outside of what we just talked about, why is that incredible? Did you know what Matthew gave up to follow Jesus? Getting into the tax business in Matthew's day would have been an incredibly expensive thing up front. He would have had to foot quite the bill to get into the business. Now, on the back end, right, once you become a tax collector, you can do pretty good. Remember Zacchaeus? You can do pretty good. Uh, you, can, you can take from people. Say the, say the Romans uh, charged you a dollar a year for your, uh, for your taxes. Matthew can come along and he's saying, well, you owe me three dollars. I'm gonna put two in my wallet. I'm gonna give one to Rome. And he could say, I'm gonna take 10 of your dollars I'm going to take nine of them for me and one for Rome. He could have done that. So on the back end, he could do some secretive back door kind of deals um, that are immoral <laughs> and become fairly wealthy in and of, in and of himself. But on the upfront, he's going to have to foot the cost for a significant bill here. And so what's he going to have to do? Well, he's going to have to sell his land now to a Jew. Selling your land would be like selling the promises of God. God gave them this this land. He fought for them. Go back and read the conquest of Canaan, where Israel didn't really have to do all that much fighting. What happened? God showed up on multiple occasions, and he destroyed their enemies, and they got to run after them. right? And they, they just kind of inherited the land. And so when you sold the land, it was a betrayal to the promises of God. And so Matthew gave up an incredible thing when he became a tax collector. And when Jesus comes along and he says, hey, come follow me, what's Matthew do? Without a second thought, he drops the the most precious thing to him. He dropped his 401k and all of his hopes for wealth in the future, and he came and he followed Jesus. But that's what disciples do, isn't it? We drop everything, and we come follow Jesus. No questions asked, complete submission. If you stop and think about what Mark's trying to do here, you remember in the first last week in the first chapter when we were just getting into Mark, he was talking to us about uh this 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 sermon that Jesus was preaching. Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe at the gospel and believe in the gospel, right? There were some people who refused to get in line behind Jesus, the Pharisees namely, but most Jews like most of us, we're pretty content being their own bosses. We like being in charge of our own lives, don't we? And if we were to let someone else in charge of our lives, we get a little anxious about that, don't we? You ever been meeting a friend somewhere to go to an event, and they're running a couple minutes late and you start looking at your watch, like, we're going to be late, and what are you thinking? i am lost money on all my tickets, and where are they, they're 30 seconds late, what's going on? You start getting anxious, don't you? Because they're in charge we don't like other people being in charge neither did the first century jews but that's what jesus is saying when you come to me when you follow me what you pick up your cross and you follow after me you allow him to be 100% in charge 100% in control that's what a disciple does we spit when it's hard When it costs everything, when we don't want to, when we're scared, when we're angry, we submit every time because He is God and He's in control. And any control that we might have is a complete facade. You get into a dire enough situation, you figure that out pretty quickly, don't you? Pandemic's a pretty good example. We don't have any control over this thing who is 100% still in charge. God is, right? Still sitting on his throne. Mark, in this first chapter, comes to us saying, Israel has a problem. They won't get in line behind Jesus. They won't submit to him. And then he comes along and he illustrates his point for us. Isn't that wonderful? Mark's a preacher. I love Mark. I'm a preacher. So, you get this idea that he's, Mark's not so much a story as it's a sermon. Isn't that kind of cool? And so Mark's going to give you his main point. You need to get in line behind Jesus. You need to submit to him. Well, you want to know what submission looks like? Well, it looks like four fishermen who gave up everything to follow him, all their future hopes and dreams, all their security, all their family relationships, every, the trade that they grew up knowing how to do. Everything to get in line behind Jesus. It looks like a tax collector who was hated by every single Jew in all of Israel who had given up an incredible thing to become a tax collector readily gave it up without question to get in line behind Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a disciple. We submit without question. We get in line behind Him. Why? Because He is God mark is not going to allow you to leave his gospel without making that decision and so as you've read through mark what's your decision as maybe maybe you haven't yet maybe you're just kind of doing this for the first time today and listening to to this first chapter and you're sitting there thinking he really is god and i really do have to make a decision about what to do with him so what are you going to do with jesus What do you do with me? You see this picture behind me of Matthew kind of sitting and waiting. He's thinking maybe. Maybe you're thinking today, what are you going to do about Jesus? He is God. And he needs to be 100% in charge of your life. To do that, you have to be just like the fisherman. Just like Matthew, you have to submit. Get in line behind Jesus, even when you're scared, even when you're angry, even when... Everything seems like it's falling apart. You submit and you get in line behind Jesus. To do that, you have to be baptized. That's the first step. You have to have your sins washed away, becoming a completely new creature. He calls it a new creation, right? You stop loving the things that you once loved and you start loving the things that he loves. You submit, right? You become like him. You take on his mind, his priorities. Everything that matters to him begins to matter to you. Submit. You get in line behind them. Maybe you've already made that step this morning. You just need the prayers of this congregation because getting in line behind them can be difficult, especially when we're scared or angry or anxious. But those are the most important times to do that because that's where your faith grows. If you have need this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?
1: As our service this morning with hymn number 727. 727. <clears throat> we shall see the king someday. Now, to this hymn, Brother Jim Wilbus will lead us in prayer. Let's sing the first and the third verse. First and the third.
2: pray kind and gracious father we come to the end of another hour of service to thee we pray that the things that we have done are in accordance with thy will we have sung the songs of praise we have offered up our prayers and we have heard another good lesson from your word we pray that everything has been in accordance with thy will and as we leave here today Can we say it has been good for us to be here? We ask all these in Jesus' name. Amen.